Hello, welcome to episode 6 of the Par 5 podcast with me, Andy. Now, if you are new to the podcast, welcome along. Um, this is a golf-related podcast, as the name of it suggests, and um, you can find more of my golf-related stuff at andysgolfblog.co.uk and also on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, um, various other places um, using the handle at andysgolfblog. If you are returning, welcome back and thanks very much for uh, your time. First of all, I just want to start off by uh, saying a quick thank you to the quite a few people actually who have messaged me privately um, to say how much they've enjoyed this podcast. When you're recording a podcast, especially when you're fine solo like I am, it's uh, yeah, it's quite quite hard to know if anyone's actually either a listening or b um, enjoying it. So yeah, to those of you who have uh, written to me, thanks very much. I hope you keep enjoying and keep listening to the podcast. And uh, yeah, over time it will it will get better, hopefully. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, um, now have to kick off with a a message around something I said in a previous podcast. Um, I referred to the winner of the Zozo Championship as Patrick Cantley, which is correct. Um, but I said he was Canadian. Now, <laughs> I don't know why that that entered my head. Um, I think I potentially was getting a bit mixed up with uh, Mackenzie Hughes, who is Canadian. Um, however, I didn't notice this. But today, during my um, Monday Major Golf Quiz, which goes out every single Monday, if you're interested, it's just a series of golf-related uh, quiz questions, only 10 of them, um, just for a bit of fun, to be honest. And um, yeah, shout out to Golfing Geek, who, <laughs> who who let me know very, very quickly that um, he should have had 10 out of 10, a perfect score this week. However, he answered that Patrick Cantley was um, American and it came up incorrect. So I had to quickly check and change that one before anyone else uh, fell foul to that one. But uh, yeah, so just to clarify, he is indeed Canadian, unlike what I said, which was that he was American. Um, so if you were offended <laughs> in the last podcast, or if you were marked down incorrectly in this week's quiz, then um, shame on me and uh, I'll, I'll give you an extra point for that one. And if you've not taken the quiz yet, well, here, there's a free answer for you. Um, I'm not going to go and take out a, a full page, page ad in the Daily Mail to apologise. So my apology on here will, will have to be enough for you, I'm afraid, Golf and Geek. Um, but anyway, <laughs> thanks very much for bringing that to attention. Now under immense pressure on all future podcasts to not make any mistakes. Otherwise, people will be uh, writing in left, right and centre. Anyway, um, yeah, so welcome along to the podcast this week and um, got a couple of couple of things in the menu. First of all, I'm going to start off with a little uh, recap of the Cyprus Open, which took place um, last week. Not going to do anything on the um, the event on the PGA Tour because if I'm honest, I didn't I didn't actually watch any of it. It was on that kind of awkward time where in the evening when I'd normally sit down and watch the golf, it had pretty much already finished. Um, and also, they're only playing for $4 million, so... It's not really the kind of prize pot I, I spend much time worrying about and watching. So, um, But of course, it, it did look really nice from the, the tiny wee bits I caught. But no, there'll be no, uh, there'll be no review of that one today. Um, but what I am going to do is I have a little segment on uh, the, the sad news of uh, Sean Connery's passing. Um, and I've kept this one kind of focused on golf, obviously, because um, this is a golf podcast. I have a section on... Um, fake clubs so 
I actually was I was listening to an old Rick Shields uh, podcast recently, and he talked about um, taking out a, a club and testing it, which was fake. Um, and it got me kind of thinking about my own experience of what I'm pretty sure were fake clubs that I purchased from eBay. So uh, I'm going to talk through his podcast episode, what went on, also my experience, and also I've got some little tips for you if you're uh, if you're looking to buy clubs, which a lot of people do. It's amazing the amount of people that buy clubs from uh, from Facebook, from these sort of social groups that sell clubs, Gumtree, and, and also eBay, um, or even from websites where you don't really know if they're reputable. So I've got some tips that I've, uh, I've sourced online to help you hopefully ensure that you don't buy a fake or at least when you're looking you know what sort of things to look for that, that could lead to the club uh, being fake. And I'm going to give you a little bit of information about the uh, the World Handicap um, Index which as far as I'm aware came into play um, today. Although if you're in England you'll get a couple of days and then you won't be doing any, any golfing sadly for what a month. I I wouldn't be too surprised if up here in Scotland we uh, follow suit soon, but you never know. I think the the local kind of restrictions and whatnot seem to be helping a little bit. Um, so fingers crossed, the Scottish government don't don't go into a, a, a kind of full national lockdown like we're seeing in England, and we could play a wee bit of golf uh, for the next little while. But anyway, yeah, that's what's coming up today, and uh, and I'll finish up with a little preview of the Houston Open, which is uh, taking place in the PGA Tour this week, and that's the first. Or the last event, should I say, um, before the the Masters, which is taking place uh, next week, which I'm sure everybody is absolutely buzzing about. Um, so anyway, yeah, let me get started with a little recap of the Cyprus Open then. So it was uh, played at Aphrodite Hills Resort, and this is an interesting one because, um, as far as I'm aware, I think it's the first time the European Tour has actually been played, certainly on, on those courses, but in, in Cyprus in general. And they're playing over two weeks, so they're playing the same course uh, this week um, again. But it was won by England's Callum Shinkwin. Now, um, this might give you another answer to my quiz, but he... Uh, <laughs> His ball landed in a paper bag full of bottles on the 18th hole during his first round um, earlier in the week, which is the first time I've certainly ever heard of that kind of thing happening. I think it was basically like a, a spotter's bag with their um, with their water bottles. And yeah, his ball landed inside there. Of course, he got relief. Uh, didn't didn't have to take a penalty drop for that one. Um, but yeah, so he went on, on Sunday, he finished eight under, so a cracking final round. Um, to win with a, a score of 20 under. So pretty pretty good golf, actually. Um, and like quite a few players this year, that, that was his first win on the Tour. So first European Tour win. He gets 335 uh, race to Dubai points. And that brings him up to 51st in the... Or 53rd... 51st, yeah. In the race to Dubai uh, rankings. So that's that's pretty good going. Um, he's, he's ranked 168 in the world. So he's not probably a player too many people are um, familiar with but he's only 27 years old so there's there's quite a lot of life left in him anyway um, but as I said yeah really really good kind of final round um, on on Sunday I think he, he eagled the last hole which got him into a playoff against um, Samuja and um, yeah he managed to birdie the final hole which was the 18th they replayed again or the, um, the playoff hole and so he's only married a par. So, um, yeah, 20 under, that's a, that's a really kind of solid scoreline for the four days. Um, he was too behind going into the final round as well. So for me personally, it's always good to see somebody come out from kind of behind the leaders 
And if you put in a round of like eight under, that, that's pretty solid. That's pretty deserving. Even Samuja got into the playoff. He was seven under. So a really solid round from him as well. Um, some of the other players, Robert McIntyre, Jamie Donaldson, they came tied for uh, third place alongside uh, Higo. And Donaldson was actually leading going into the final round. And I kind of had my fingers crossed for him. As much as, you know, I'd love to see McIntyre win. I'm pretty sure he'll have plenty more chances. Um, but Donaldson... He's a class act, and it's it's been a long time since he's uh, won. So it's really nice to see him playing playing really really well again. Um, but yeah, so they're going to be playing again this week in Cyprus. And if if you caught enough, it was really it's a lovely looking course. It, it absolutely reminds me of the one single time when I played golf um, golf abroad, and it was over in Spain. Um, but it it just looks so different. It's completely different to anything we're used to experience here. Um, and loads of people would be saying, "What are you on about? You live in Scotland. That's you know that's golfers' country." But um, the idea of watching them all playing in their t-shirts in November or well, late October, um, you kind of wishful thinking, I think, for for the rest of us. But anyway, yeah. So that's that's your your winner this week, um, first European Tour for a uh, title for Calm Shinklin. So not bad at all. Um, right, I'm going to move on now. Um, because I, I don't like the main focus of the podcast to be talking about the kind of past events. I prefer to focus on other things and then moving on to uh, to future events. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Sean Connery now. Now, <laughs> I'm a massive James Bond fan. Massive fan. Um, I recently bought the entire collection and I sat and watched them all and it, it didn't take me very long to get through them. Um, and personally, I prefer the older ones, like the, the original, say like the, the Roger Moore's or... Sean Connery, those films are the ones that I absolutely love. For me, they're, they're what James Bond is all about, the, the kind of suaveness of them, the, the way he was. Nowadays, they're quite they're really good. I still like the modern ones, but they're a little bit too kind of gritty and, and serious. I quite like the, the charming nature of the old ones. Um, and without a shadow of a doubt, Connery was the finest Bond, not even open for debate. Um, so yeah, to, to hear of his passing at the weekend was really, really sad. Uh, Lift on 90, so incredibly good... Um, you know, solid innings from uh, from Mr. Connery, and it, quite quite interesting because obviously he he comes from Scotland. He's from Edinburgh, and uh, and after sort of hearing about his death, I then went on to BBC and I was reading his uh, obituary, and it was there's there's so many interesting things in there that you'd probably never know or never even have have heard about. Um, Sean Connery before. Now one of the main things I think golf fans are probably familiar with was um, that scene you know six or seven minutes in Goldfinger where he, he basically plays um, a round of golf against him for, for a gold bar um, and I'm going to play the audio from that clip in a wee minute because it's, it's just such a fantastic fantastic scene um, obviously listening to it's not quite the same but hopefully you'll, you'll still enjoy it um, but yeah thinking about the, the, the article on BBC some of the, the kind of highlights and the things that I thought were, were really interested. Um, they talked about when he was younger and he was walking around Edinburgh, he he basically got started on or jumped by by six sort of gang members and uh, within a few minutes they were all lying on the ground and he was walking off. They were trying to take his, his wallet or whatnot. And he had this kind of reputation of being like a really kind of tough guy. Um, there's another another little mention when he was on a film set and uh, this mobster who was married to an actress believed that uh, Connery was having an affair with her, uh, with her. so he, t- he turned up on set and pulled a gun out on Connery who managed to wrestle him to the ground, like a scene out of James Bond, and, uh, and he ended up getting 
accosted it and whatnot. But I thought it was incredible to, to sort of hear these these little stories. But I want to focus on the topic of golf because um, he apparently, when he was filming Goldfinger, he was completely new to golf, so he had no experience. Um, although he did, he grew up in Fountain Bridge, which for anyone in Edinburgh is very, very close to the Brunsfield Links, which is a great little um, sort of area to, to go and get some golf. And I think it's potentially the oldest, is it the oldest golf course of golf um Possibly the oldest golf course in the world. I think there's there's some history behind it anyway. Um, so you know a lot of people associate Edinburgh with, with that course and and whatnot. But he, he was not too far away from that. But he'd never really had an interest in golf in any way. Um, but after he got the role, he basically started getting lessons so he could play um, play golf in in the movie. And he says he basically completely caught the golf bug then, as as the case of most people when you start playing, you think actually this is a it's a pretty shit hot sport. <laughs> so um yeah, he took he took lessons on a course near the Pinewood Studios and he basically said that golf pretty much took over his life. Um so there's a really good little quote which I'll read out just now. He says, I began to see it as a metaphor for living. For in golf you are basically on your own, competing against yourself and always trying to do better. If you cheat, you will be the loser because you're only cheating yourself. <laughs> immediately when I read that I straight away thought of like being in school and when the teacher's like well if you cheat you're just cheating yourself um, but it kind of it kind of sums golf up really really nicely and I think like it says you know it's, uh, you, you can attribute a lot of that to what everyday life is um, is like but um, the whole thing about golf is the idea that you're honest you're honest with yourself and with your, your playing partners and that's obviously what he's um, he's getting at there and the idea that you're constantly trying to get better I think I speak for everybody when I say that there's nothing more frustrating than not actually getting better when you're practicing and playing golf we, we don't go out there and think oh I want to get worse um, you're constantly looking to improve your swing to improve your score to lower your handicap um, yes probably have fun as well um, but let's be honest the vast majority of us if not everybody wants to get better um, at golf so I thought that was a really quite nice nice little um, quote there but I'm going to play the, the scene now from Goldfinger. And this is basically um, at Stoke Park Golf Club in Hertfordshire. Now, before I play that, um, if you have a look on the account of uh, Far From Par on Instagram, you'll see that Dan recently played golf at um, Stoke Park Golf Club. And it's it's a lovely looking course. And he's got some really good kind of little videos and, and clips and whatnot. And there's that area. And I don't know if it's the 18th where you see the... Um, the massive clubhouse, huge fancy clubhouse in the background, um, but it's it's funny watching you know Dan and looking at the pictures of him on the course and then thinking back to um, in the movie where um, yeah Sean Connery was was playing in there. But anyway, I'll play this little clip for you and uh, let you hear a little bit more from the film. So uh, there's an old member dropped by, sir. Same handicap as yours. I wondered if you'd rather play with him. Where is he? Uh, Mr. Bond? Yes? This is Mr. Goldfinger. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, you can go straight off. The first tee is clear. Fine. I'll get Hawker to caddy for you, Mr. Bond. Well, that'll be splendid. Shall we make it a shilling a hole? Mm-hmm. I'll take some teas. Uh, yes, of course. 
you must excuse our job, Mr. Bond. He's an admirable manservant, but mute. He's not a very good caddy. Golf is not yet the national game of Korea, eh? <laughs> this meeting is not a coincidence, eh? What's your game, Mr. Bond? My game? You didn't come here to play golf. A 1940 smelt from the Weigener foundry at Essen. Part of a smelt of 600. They vanished in 1944. When the Nazis were on the run. And you have access to more? Yes, from the same source. Interesting. Two holes to go. Yes, and all square. Then you have no objection to increasing the stakes? No. What do you have in mind? The bar of gold you have with you, naturally. It's worth 5,000 pounds. Oh, I'll stake the cash equivalent. <laughs> Naturally. Strict rules of golf? But of course. You're in the rough. Oh, what a pity. Here it is. No, it's not. He plays a Slazenger one. Strict rules of golf, Goldfinger. Five minutes are almost up. The last ball will cost you stroke and distance. Still training him as a caddy. Successfully, too. Slazenger number one. Good. If that's his original ball, I'm Arnold Palmer. It isn't. How do you know? I'm standing on it. <laughs> Why, you crafty old. <laughs> Leave it. The ball you found, sir? Yes, Lazenger 7. Let's have a little fun with Mr. Goldfinger. Would you like me to mark it or knock it in? Mm -hmm. Play it. This for a half. That's right. One to go, that'll be the clincher. Fine. Right. 
Did you switch him, sir? Uh-huh. Then we've got him. If he doesn't notice a switch. It's your honor, sir. It's all right. Down in five. I have to sink this to half the game, right? Yeah. You win, Goldfinger. <laughs> it seems I'm too good for you. Oh. You play a Slazenger one, don't you? Yes, why? This is Slazenger seven. Here's my Penfold Hearts. You must have played the wrong ball somewhere on the 18th fairway. We are playing strict rules, so I'm afraid you'll lose the hole and the match. So there you have it, an absolutely classic, classic moment from uh, from Goldfinger. A couple of bits I absolutely love in that clip. The first one's the fact that uh, Odd Job drops the, the ball down his uh, trouser leg, which... I wouldn't be surprised if there's been a few golfers in the time I've, uh, I've done that. The second one, and I don't know if this is 100% true, I'm trying to remember off uh, the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he crushes the ball at the end of the scene. Um, in that little video clip there, it doesn't play a lot of it, or enough of it to see, but I'm pretty sure Odd Job crushes the ball with his hand at the end. Um, but yeah, some great great advertising there for uh, for Slazenger. But anyway, as I said, it was that was the, um, the thing that really got Connery into golf was uh, was preparing for that role and the funny thing is you barely even see him hit a shot <laughs> he does a little bit of putting I think he hits one ball in the start of the clip and, uh, and other than that you don't even see him swinging so I think he probably just loved the fact that he got to go and play golf all the time um, there was something I also read which um, I'll see if I can find it here in my notes but he he apparently during the, the filming of that film he had a, a fancy car. I think it was like a, I don't know, a Mercedes or something like that. But he preferred to just take a little green Vauxhall down to the golf course so he basically wasn't recognised. If I think he was thinking if he turns up in his big fancy car, everyone would see who it is and he'd stop him. So yeah, he just used to take, whilst he's filming, a little uh, green, green Vauxhall down to the golf course so he can get out and play as much as he could and wouldn't be um, disrupted. But... He, he was saying that he spent a lot of time at Royal Dornick um, whilst filming Goldfinger and that's where he learned a lot about golf in, in kind of more detail and playing under conditions. So um, he says that he loved the fact that it, it taught him to play a variety of shots. So he was playing um, lots of courses and, and lots of shots into the, the wind and uh, and I think it, it certainly, you know, in his mind made him a better player playing on a, a tough course um, like that. Um but he basically apparently reached like a really, really good level. So he was a single figure handicap. Um, and at one point he was basically playing like pro-ams and, and against the pros. He felt good enough and confident enough to, to play um, with the professionals. And he, what was the other thing I was saying here? He, um, oh yeah, and he was he was inducted to the RNA um, as a member by past captain Sir Ian Stewart. 
So such was his love of golf that he's actually was was made a member of the the RNA. Um, but if I've got to be honest, I think it's you know it's a, a pretty sad uh, sad passing. It's made me want to go and watch the Bond films again. But it's it's nice to hear like people like that and how keen they are on on the game of golf, even just from simple things like that, like picking up how to play golf for a film role, and then it basically became like one of his main loves. Even his house. Um, out where he where he passed away and lived for like forty years was backed on to a really really nice golf course. So he chose a location to live for all his years where he um he could basically just go out and play golf all the time. So certainly a man after my uh, my own heart. But yeah, as I said, pretty pretty sad news at the the weekend. But if you get a chance, go and watch that that clip with uh, with Connery and Goldfinger because it's it's absolutely class. Right, as mentioned earlier, um, I'm going to do a little segment here on fake golf clubs. Now the reason I've decided to include this is because it came about after listening to Rick Shields' podcast. Um, I watch quite a lot of his stuff on YouTube but what I find is I don't have a huge amount of time and since realising he's got a podcast I've started listening to that because it, it fits in really nicely with a busy life. You can listen to it in the car, you can listen to it in bed, I can listen to it whilst I'm working, just wherever. Um, the, the fact that Rick Shields is who he is and not only is a golf pro but he's a well-known YouTuber means that a lot of his content, certainly his podcasts, are super interesting because he's obviously done a lot of things and he knows what he's talking about. Um, he's only done 45 episodes, so it's been going nowhere near as long as his um, his YouTube channel. Um, I think the first episode was from November 2019, so it was only November last year. So I've just decided to start at the beginning and work my way through. So I'm pretty sure the first episode is the episode where he talks about um, buying a fake club from Wish.com and giving it a go. And then he tells you a little bit more about um, how it performed, how much it cost, all that sort of stuff. Um, but for me, it was really interesting because I'm pretty sure I have bought fake clubs before, which I'll go into to later. Um, but I've decided to pull together some tips for things you can look for um, when looking at a fake club potentially on eBay or online, uh, on Facebook groups, Gumtree, those sort of things. So you want to kind of buy in confidence and not everybody has the money to rush out and buy a brand new golf club or from reputable companies online or from the club pros. So most of us do look at the secondhand market and I think there's it'll be a wash with fake clubs. So yeah, hopefully some of these tips I'll, I'll bring to you in a wee while um, will at least help you think about and, and understand a bit more about how f- clubs vary between being fake and uh, and real, what sort of things are common um, across them. But anyway, in this episode, and it's really, really worth going to, to listen to, and I think because he talks about a video, you should still be able to get the video where he, he performed this uh, test, but you can get enough information from the, the podcast anyway. But essentially, he, he goes to Wish.com, which I don't think he'd even ever heard of, um, but it's one of these kind of like Chinese websites where they have a huge amount of golf products. He was basically saying there's everything you can think of to do with golf, but at ridiculously low prices. So he decides to sign up and purchase a tailor-made M6 driver, and I think it was about 130 quid, but then including delivery, up to 150. Um, but on the website, you know, he was saying it looked really, really good, and uh, he decided he was going to test out just how well it performed against a genuine one. So <laughs> it arrives, and instead of coming in a box like you'd expect, um, it arrives all the way from wherever it was sent from, 
um, which is either China or Japan, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it arrives and it's uh, it's, just, it's just wrapped in like bin bags. Um, unbelievable. I'm surprised that it actually arrived in one piece. But anyway, he, um, he takes it apart and he talks a little bit about the head cover and how the head cover would kind of raise a few eyebrows. It, it doesn't look exactly like the official one. But then for most of us, we haven't necessarily seen the official one. So the head cover could well look totally fine. Um, when you look at the two head covers side by side, there's only kind of minor differences. The colouring's slightly, maybe a little bit more orangey on the fake one. And the tailor-made logo is slightly smaller, shall we say. Um, but other than that, there's, there's not really too much between them. So to, to any of us looking, you probably won't be able to tell from that and also it tends to be if you buy something you look at the club and then the head cover is just given to you you put it on and away you go um so he, he takes it out of the packaging and he has a wee look at it and then straight away he starts to point out the things that he would say um were easy to identify as being fake so the first thing he says is on the face of the m6 there are like the the speed injection ports right so where they inject speed um, and these are meant to be screws, so once they, they put the injection in, they then put little kind of screws on the top. Whereas on, the, on this club, they're basically just painted on. So it's little like painted uh, red screws as opposed to actual screws. So it's like they wouldn't even unscrew, they're just, uh, they're just painted. Um, other little bits weren't quite as he expected. So he was saying like the finish in general didn't look as precise, you know, precise as expected. Um, the, the grips did not smell nice, although they're still in cellophane and stuff, but the uh, the smell from the grips wasn't right. And one of the biggest telltale signs, he said, is actually when you hold the club um, and address the ball, the loft won't be right on it. So it's like if you put it down and take your normal stance, instead of the club head, say, pointing at the target, it could be pointing like way closed or um, the, the shaft feels much, much closer to the ground. Um, so essentially the, the loft and lie on the club will will not really be um what, what you're expecting and that's certainly what he found from um from the m6 so he hit the real m6 he got 285 yards of carry 162 ball speed so um you know pretty pretty good strike there he, t- he takes the m6 that's the fake one and he hits the first ball and it goes like way wild right which for me i'm not gonna lie that probably wouldn't be any different to a normal shot anyway so i probably think i've got a genuine club in that respect um he comes up 50 yards shorter, so quite a big difference there. Um, but also the sound off of it is really, really tinny. Now, to be honest, there's a lot of clubs out there that have that, that tinny sound anyway. The old uh, R6 I had, eh, not R6, R1 I had, um, had a horrible, really high-pitched tinny sound anyway. And it was genuine, but it just didn't sound nice. Whereas uh, the Titleist drivers for me often have a much more deeper kind of thumping sound. Um but yeah, he, he basically said like you can hear straight away the, the sound of it and, and just how bad it is. Um, but he he hits one more, one more shot with it and then basically the um, the head just comes off. So he had taken the head to show you how it could be adjusted and you can actually hear him put the, the wrench in and turn it and it clicks. So it was certainly locked in. I think a lot of the comments suggested that he hadn't tightened it properly. You do hear the click. Um, but yeah, after the third hit, <laughs> the head the head just comes flying off. So he he calls it a day there. But as I said, it got me thinking about the the experience I've had, which was when I bought three um, SM5 Volky wedges from eBay. 
Now I paid ninety pound for them, and I thought I've got a, I've got a cracking deal here. Um, they were second hand, but you know they had uh, they had nice um, golf pride grips on them. They were the Project X shafts, and um, they were in the perfect lofts. I think it was like a fifty two, a fifty six, and a sixty. So it's exactly what I was looking for. Um, so I bought them for ninety quid, and I I got a, a message from the guy to say, oh, I, I live in Edinburgh. I've noticed that you you live nearby. Would you be willing to meet up and I'll drop them off to save on postage? And uh, and I I work in Edinburgh, so I'm like, oh, that sounds great. You know, can meet you at my work if you want. So he comes along. Anyway, he comes with his big van, and he he seemed pretty pretty keen to get them given to me as quickly as possible. So he hands me them and he, he shoots off, and. I think I was quite naive at that point, so I didn't really know too much about fake clubs, and I didn't realise there's like such a big market, and they're they're so good. You know, I had it in my head if it was a fake club, it was going to look nothing, nothing like um like it. But anyway, I took them back to the office, and I was having a look, and I thought these are they're quite good. Um, but I did have one Vokey myself, which was an SM four, and they these felt a lot lot heavier, like a lot heavier. But again, I was kind of like, you know, they're different models. Maybe that's how it is. Um, so I, I, I played with them for a while. And then there was one day after playing, I started to clean them. And and I looked and I thought, it just like, even just the, the writing of Titus didn't look right. Now, he said to me when he dropped them off, oh, um, I filled the Titus in with sort of white, not Tipex, but white kind of paint um, because it had come off. So I, I, I filled it back in. And the paint had kind of like oozed out a little bit of the the engraving but again I, I didn't really think much of it and then it wasn't until when I was cleaning them I was looking I was thinking that marking doesn't look right and the, the paint job you know is a bit bit dodgy he did say he touched it up but then maybe maybe he didn't maybe we were just dodgy so I went online and I started looking at at, at Titleist uh, fake Vokies and there's rakes of pages I mean this was a couple of years back when I first noticed this rakes and rakes of pages telling you about the different things so I started to compare mine to the pictures and I was looking at a Titleist engraving and I thought it just doesn't, it doesn't look neat. Um, and then I looked at the the serial number, which instead of being like etched onto the wedge, it was almost like laser dot printed. It was really bizarre and you could barely make it out. Um, I tried to go into Titleist website to check the serial number because I assumed you'd be able to plug a serial number in and check um, but I don't think they allow you to do that. I'm not sure what the reasoning for that is, but there's no way of really checking that way. I think you could take them to your pro to get them checked or get them to check them for you, but you're not, as far as I'm able, aware, able to do it yourself. Um, so anyway, I quit playing with them for quite a while, and then I was at the driving range one time, and the head of a 50 came flying off and went further than my ball. And it was at that point I thought to myself, maybe these are, are fake. So I decided to go out and purchase new ones. Um, they were getting a bit old anyway, to be honest. But I bought new ones from the pro shop and um, immediately the difference in weight was there. Like they, these ones were the same sort of weight as my old SM4. So looking back, I can only assume that they probably they probably were fake. But they, they still look really, really good. You know, they had the, the milling grind on it. If anything, actually, the, the milling grind on it was probably a lot deeper uh, uh, you know than the, the kind of the standard milling um on on the other vokies i've had but then again i was just thinking well maybe you know maybe that's the new style from the sm4 to the sm5 um sort of much deeper milling but again it's probably just they potentially were fake and they're still in the loft so i may get them down and may 
may share some pictures on uh, on Instagram and, and see if anybody has any of those to potentially um, compare. But one of the things when you're buying from eBay and Facebook and stuff, and I see these, you know, Golf Trader Fife, Golf Trader Edinburgh, people are selling clubs all the time. And often they're selling them for not too much less than you would pay for a new one. So it's not a massive difference. But it'd be so easy to punt a fake club or tons of fake clubs on there. You know, sometimes they say, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll ship, they'll, you'll pay for postage, all that kind of thing. Um, you, you'd probably have no comeback as well because if you're doing it through the likes of Facebook, you buy it, the person just deletes their account, they're gone. There's no, there's no way of getting that cash back. At least eBay, you've got the bit of seller protection and you've, you've potentially got, you know, some sort of comeback. But the likes of, you know, Gumtree and Facebook, I just think, think for the kind of money now that golf clubs um, are, it's so hard to be sure that you're getting a, a genuine product that I, I, for myself, I don't think I would ever buy another golf club off of um, social media or um, or Gumtree and probably not even eBay, to be honest. I think clothing and stuff I'm, I'm not too fussed about because quite often, um, you know, if you're getting new stuff, it's pro shop style and that kind of thing. But golf clubs, I would definitely have to, to steer clear from. Um, however, if you are, looking to um to buy some clubs then i've got a couple of things here you can look at that will help you now i once went to buy some golf grips from uh, from the internet and and even them i was surprised to find there's like a huge huge market for people selling fake grips and again when you compare them side by side there's only really subtle differences they are there and you can tell when they're side by side but if somebody just handed you a pack of 10 golf pride grips you'd probably look and but yep look good and you'd, you'd take them. Um, but it's not often until you see things side by side that you can really tell the, the, the difference between them. But a couple of things to look out for if you're looking at a club or grips with regards to the grips. So the first one and the biggest one is the smell of the grips. So they have like a really strong smell of rubber. Okay, so that's what you're looking for. If you go and smell your normal grips, there probably won't be much of a smell in them. But often the fake grips have a really horrible tackiness not like a grippy tackiness, but just a, a gluey kind of tackiness and a horrible smell. Um, also, the if you've got a club with a grip on it, alignment at address. So often the, the grip won't be perfectly aligned. I mean, that could just be that someone's re-gripped themselves or the pro's not done a great job. Um, but generally speaking, they won't, they won't be well aligned. Um, if there is a paint fill, then quite often the fill will be coming out of, so if it said Golf Pride and it was, you know, painted in white, if it's a genuine one, the fill will be nicely in to where the, the letters kind of come up to the, the level of the grip. Whereas the fake ones, you tend to find that the paint will ooze out even higher and onto the grip. So it just looks a bit messy. Um, and, and also the design doesn't necessarily match the make or style of the current model. So it could be that like Golf Pride or TaylorMade is written on a certain part with maybe two lines above or something like that. But on the fake one, the lines aren't there. So there's a couple of little things you can look for. And the easiest way is to compare against the official websites um, or official resellers um, to, to get an idea. With regards to the shafts on the club, um, quite often they're way whippier than they should be. So if, for example you're buying an extra stiff shaft, it could well have a whippiness of the likes of a regular shaft. Um, what else? The Yeah, they, they feel very, very flimsy. The colouring may be off. 
So if it's meant to be like a specific sort of grey or blue, you may find that the blue is a little bit lighter or darker. Again, tricky to tell that unless you're comparing with um, a, a similar model, you know, like for like. Also, the, the holographic sticker that's on them. So these are on all of your clubs. Um, they're not on the fake ones and not necessarily on the, the underside next to the grip. So on our genuine one, that's where it would be. On a fake, they tend to be on the top of the shaft but near the shaft band, okay, so not near the grip. Again, just because it's on the top doesn't mean it's fake because somebody may have re-gripped and they may have, um, you know, turned the grip round and slid it down on the opposite side. So a couple of little things to look for in the shaft there, but again, there's loads more reading about this online. And then the final thing when you talk about the head of the club, so as I mentioned earlier, the paint filling will probably be off and coming outside of the lines, which in my case with the Fokies, a definite uh, alarm bell there for those. The font may be different or different size. So if I compare my Titleist etching with the standard Titleist etching on my real Vokey, um, you you can or I could see that it just wasn't quite as neat. Um, so it's worth looking at the font and the, the text. Um, the shape of the head could be a bit off. So in the video with Rick Shields, the just the general shape of the M6 didn't look the same as the genuine one. But again, they had to be side by side to get that comparison, unless you're some sort of expert in uh, golf head shape, or the shape of golf heads, which I don't think anybody is. Um, face angle and the position on the ground, not right like Rick said in his video. Um, and also the, the weight on counterfeits is often heavier, especially on drivers. Um, and it's to do with the, the, the materials they're making them from. Um, so you know for example if they're, they're not made from titanium they're, they're probably going to be a good bit heavier and that's certainly what I felt with my Vokey wedges which they wouldn't be made of titanium anyway but they did they had a real weight to them which actually wasn't too bad when you're playing with them um, but almost the kind of weight you'd expect like a club like a cheaper one like a Slazenger or, or Dhoni or something like that um, the adjustment may not properly align on it so if you're trying to change the loft and whatnot you may find that it, it doesn't actually either adjust or it doesn't sit right. Um, and also, as I mentioned earlier, and this is quite common on the putters, like the Scotty Camerons, look at the milling, either the milling positioning or the depth of it compared. So if you've bought one, you could by all means take it into a pro and, and ask them to, to have a look against another model. Um, but as I said, there's, there's loads of factors that can lead you to kind of... Um, have concerns, I guess, about your clubs if you've bought them from eBay and, and whatnot. Um, nobody is going to want to be using a counterfeit club. Um, you're not going to get the best performance out of it. It's probably going to be affecting you. Um, and also, I think the worst thing is if you do own one, you find out you've just wasted all that money. Maybe it's better uh, better that you don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, as I said, I, I'm pretty pretty certain those Vokies I purchased were, um, were indeed fake. But have a little look through your wedges, uh, your irons, your putters, drivers. Um, but the, the general advice, I guess, from Rick Shields is certainly go and buy from a reputable source. Go to the pro shop, buy from these sites online like Clubhouse Golf, American Golf, those kind of people. That's where you can ensure that the club you're getting um, is is the correct one. But that's, that's not ideal when you perhaps want to get new gear, but you don't really have the budget to go and buy from these kind of places. Um in that case, 
I wouldn't say go and buy on eBay and stuff, but maybe look at a slightly different option, a cheaper option on online at the club. Okay, um, so golfers across England, Scotland, various other places, the new World Handicap Index uh, came into play today, I believe. So I mentioned earlier, obviously England, um, unfortunately, going into golf and normal life lockdown um, this week. We're fortunate enough here in Scotland that we're still under current um, local, I guess, restrictions. And certainly where I live, we're on tier two of, what is it, five? Anyway, we're we're on tier two, um, which means we've not really got too many restrictions in place other than we can't um, go into other people's households. We can't meet in uh, pubs and cafes and stuff with groups outside of our home unless it's one other group and up to six people. And, you know, schools are still in. I think over in Fife, certainly um, pubs pubs can still be open, but I don't think they can serve alcohol. To be honest with you, I have no idea about the other restrictions. What I do know is that um, I have to wear a mask when I go to buy my shopping and my local stuff from the wee bakery. And also, I can still play golf. Okay, so the golf courses are still open. And recently, with the new um, handicap index... I found the whole thing really quite confusing and complicated. There's lots to it. You know, there's loads of articles online, loads of information. Um, but getting my head around the whole thing was was quite complicated, as I think it was for most people. But then I realised that actually you don't need to bother because at the end of the day, you can learn the ins and outs. But the, the club's going to do it on the, the systems. It's going to generate a handicap for you. And you're going to keep going out every week to try and get that down. And to be honest, I think when we get into next season, I'll invest a lot more time reading more about it again to refresh before the season begins. Um, But I want to highlight a really, 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 really good little video I found um, on Instagram. And um, I think this will help anyone who's looking for more information. And there's loads of these around, not going to lie. But this one's by Joe, um, who is under the handle Open Stance Golf. And Joe's a great guy puts out loads of really good videos, really friendly guy, um, always happy to, to chat about golf and do anything golf related. And he's got some really good videos on YouTube, one of which was telling you more about the system and how it works. So it's been out for a few weeks and it would have given you an idea of how to roughly calculate your um, your new handicap. But if you're looking for any more information, I would have a look at his page and in particular his video. So go to um, at Open Stance Golf. You'll see his, uh, his page and he'll have posted recently about the video. But it's a really good introduction to the handicap system. And to be honest, as I said, I could do with watching it again because um, what I like is it's completely in layman's terms. It's just that my brain's really, really small. So I tend to remember something and then something new will come in and that thing goes and uh, it happens to be that right now, how the whole thing works and all the finer details um, has disappeared. So I will probably revisit that video myself. But if you're looking for more info, um, check out Open Stands Golf. He's on YouTube as well, so you can look under that handle and do watch his video. Comment, let him know what you think. Tell him that I sent you. Um, and uh, you'll not get anything for free, but you'll get some free knowledge. So that's quite good. Um and just for the record, like everybody, my handicap has come down as well. So I, I've been a, I started at my club at nine point, what was a nine point one, and I've only played about five competitions this year. I've gone up to nine point four, so I was hanging on to my nine, um, by my fingernails, and then the season has finished, 
And then the new handicap comes in at 7.7. So I think it was actually less than that, and then it got readjusted and increased slightly. So I think it was down at about 7.4. Um, to be honest, the way the way I've been playing golf recently, mine, I needed mine to go up. I needed an extra four or five strokes, not less strokes. Um, it'll be interesting getting out on the course and, and seeing how... Um, how your score's really calculated with, with the adjustments and whatnot that we made um, once you're out on the course. What I realised was to calculate my score, because I only had submitted a certain amount of cards, not the eight that it needs to average from the, the say, 20 rounds, I had too little, so it didn't have enough to average on. So there's a really handy table that explains how they got to it, and it's basically your own ha- normal handicap um, minus something like one stroke for if you've submitted only three cards or five cards. Um, so that explains why I've got down to that. So um, yeah, I think I'm on 7.4 or 7.7, something like that. But anyway, it's uh, it's far lower than it should be. Um, but yeah, it'll be an interesting thing. I think the idea, the concept behind it um, is really good. I like the idea of one system where you can just go and play any course and everybody, um, you know, they're not coming from different handicap systems probably a bit of a nightmare for clubs if I'm honest trying to get all this set up so I don't envy anyone who who does any of the handicap work um, at a golf club but it'll be interesting to see how it goes next year and I also like the fact that I'll be able to put in some cards just playing say the nine holes on the course Um, I've already put some supplementaries in in the past but the idea that they're kind of opening to to nine holes as well I think is really good It's it's a great opportunity for people who just don't have the time to play 18 to still keep a, a kind of consistent handicap. So um, there might be less chance of people winning events now. Um, who knows? Who knows? But I look forward to the new season. And uh, as I said, check out Open Stance's video if you're looking for more information about the handicap system. Right, let me just uh, open up my notes here for the final segment of the podcast, which is going to um, give you a little preview of the... Um, let's see, yeah, a little preview of the Houston Open, so just a wee bit more information about the event that's taking place um, this week, so 5th to the 8th of November, and um, some of the guys who are lining up this week, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Jordan Spieth, uh, Garcia's taking part, Phil Mickelson, who won in 2011, he's playing, um, Adam Scott, Lee Westwood, and also Brooks Kepka. So quite a good field, you know, some decent players in there. Tiger, he's not playing this week, although I think he skips the Houston Open quite often anyway, to be honest. The defending champion, Lanto Griffin, he won last year in this event. And the winner this week will get 500 FedEx points. So really good amount of points for the guys who are looking to make a kind of good start early into the season um, for FedEx Cup. And um, I think, if I'm right in saying, I think this is Adam Scott and Dustin Johnson's first event since testing positive to COVID. So it'll be good to see them back. Obviously, everybody, everybody loves watching Adam Scott swing. Um, and he's he's one of these guys that always, you know, he's won the Masters before. He always tends to play pretty well there. He doesn't play very many golf events. So he's probably not had a huge amount of practice with what's going on with COVID and not playing many events leading up to this. But it's good to see him this week. He, I wouldn't be too surprised if he does quite well at Augusta again. But we shall wait and see. Um, anyway, this week has been played at Memorial Park Golf Club. Par 71. And it's just over 7,000 yards. So it's not a massive course by... Uh, or a long course by PGA Tour standards. Uh, relatively 
say mediocre. Um, it's the first time it's been played at this um, course since 1963 on the PGA Tour. So back then, Bob Charles was the winner. And it's a Tom Doak redesigned course, interestingly with the help of Brooks Kepka. So didn't know that one myself, um, but basically he was involved in helping to redesign um, this course. Tom Doak has obviously done loads of loads of different courses and is held in very kind of high regard within the, the golf architectural, if that's the right word, uh, world. So the couple of changes he's made, so basically this course apparently will be completely different to what people are used to seeing with Memorial Park. Um, he's added elevation, but he's also improved the drainage across the course. He has lengthened holes, but he's also shortened holes. The fairways have been widened, so they're much more generous, really good for the massive hitters who, like Bryson, who's not playing, but players like him who just love to smash the ball. Um, although it doesn't really matter how far he he's hitting it where the, the rough and the fairway ends anyway, because he, he doesn't really care. He just goes over all the danger. Um, but the one thing he normally does is he normally takes the trees out of play, but Doak's done that for them because he's removed a lot of trees on the course. So I think the changes he've ma- he's made has tried to basically just open the course up. One of the things that he's kind of famed for is liking a, a more of a classic style on a golf course. And what he prefers to do and has always done is left the kind of course to its natural lie on the land so instead of changing too much and bringing in massive amounts of mud and soil and sand to the course he tends to leave them in the kind of classic state and what you'd expect based on on the land of the course and just making some sort of subtle changes throughout so the things he's done hopefully will lead to an event where there'll be you know some really good scoring and looking at the list any, any, you know, anybody could, uh, could have a, a good opportunity this week. Jordan Spieth, I've said every single time I record a podcast, I would love to see him win again. I think it's an absolute sin that you had somebody who was so good at putting and has just really, really lost their way. And statistically, I think he actually is still quite good at putting, but you know, he made something like a hundred and thirty or forty putts from within six foot. Um, just so so good whenever he was in his prime so he's shown glimmers but he always has a bad round um in him so he's he's teeing up and i wouldn't mind seeing him win um it'd be quite odd to see kepka win again if i'm honest he's obviously coming back from injury but um i i saw a little video on instagram where he was he was doing a QA with his missus and they played something like eight holes and he was seven under so he, he basically it looked like he was on fire, to be honest. So, you know, you never know. Um, but he did say that other than winning a golf tournament, it's one of the coolest um, experiences he's had and he's been involved in in golf was helping with the, the course redesign. So even then, if he's somebody who's been looking at re- redesign of this course, could stand him in quite good stead. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to this one. And there's going to be some fans here for the first time since the players. So I don't know how many are being brought in but it's quite it's you know it's quite interesting to have a bit of a a bit of crowd cheering and, and noise back on on the course but i suspect there'll be little pockets around certain holes and uh, following certain players anyway that's your just knocked the microphone that's your lot for this week thanks very much for tuning into another episode of the par 5 podcast as always 
Um, I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode, about any of the things we've discussed. So talking about the fake golf clubs. Do you have any fake clubs? Have you gone and checked yours? Have you got any experiences with buying fake clubs or dodgy experiences on Facebook or Gumtree? Obviously golf related, not other dodgy experiences. Um, but also the the James Bond topic. Have you seen Goldfinger? What have you thought of that little golf scene? Um, anything at all. Anything at all. Um, drop me a message. You can private message. You can message on a post on Instagram. You can comment under this page on the golf blog, whatever you like. Um, but hopefully have you back for another episode and thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week. <laughs>